Here's the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We are so happy to have you here. If you are a disruptor, welcome back. If you are new here, welcome. I am your American dental hygiene host, Melissa Obratka. And my name's Tabitha, and I'm a dental hygienist from Australia. So we've got a fun episode for you. We are going to discuss something that, uh, I don't know, Tabitha, I think every dental hygienist in any country, any corner of the world has probably experienced this at some point in their career. What do you think? Yeah, um, I was telling Melissa this week that I was on Facebook. No, no shock for anyone on that anyone that listens to the podcast <laughs> I'm always posting on Facebook, but I was reading some stuff in some of the chats and I was reading a really sad post actually from a dental hygienist that has just had a really rough go of a couple of um, practices in a row where it hasn't gone well. And she was thinking about um, potentially leaving dentistry because she was having such a a rough time. And so Melissa and I wanted to talk about this a little bit. Um, I think there are some crappy practices out there. I'm going to acknowledge that. But there's also some great practices. So it was really sad to see someone so disheartened and maybe leaving the profession because of this. Like it really upset me. And so I thought we came up with some information that we want to talk about, about identifying maybe some red flag practices to help you in that interview process. And then also just acknowledge that it can be really rough out there sometimes and you're not alone. And it's not worth staying somewhere where you're not being treated well and you're unhappy and, you know, it's affecting your life. So it is really important that you leave these toxic environments and find somewhere new. And we've been there, Melissa and I, and we know, and I think sometimes you don't realise how horrible it is until you leave and then they're like, oh, my God, why did I stay there so long? Right, right. Yeah, when you're in the thick of being in a toxic work environment, it's so hard to kind of, like, disassociate yourself excuse me, it it almost feels like if you speak up or complain or or raise awareness about something like you in that kind of environment, you're just being annoying or a complainer that you're making a big deal about something, even though the issue that you're raising to discuss was really something that needed to be addressed. So it can be really challenging when when you are holding that boundary for yourself and and standing up for something that you don't think is, is right. Yeah, so I'm going to read how a toxic workplace is defined. A toxic workplace is marked by significant infighting where personal matters, battles often harm productivity. Toxic workplaces are often considered the result of toxic employers and or toxic employees who are motivated by personal gain, power, money, fame, or special status, use unethical, mean-spirited, and sometimes illegal means to manipulate and annoy those around them, and whose mo- motives are to maintain or increase power, money, or special status or divert attention away from their performance, shortfalls or misdeeds. Toxic workers do not recognise a duty to the organisation for which they work or their co-workers in terms of ethics, professional conduct towards them. And toxic workers define relationships with co-workers 
not by organisational structure, but by co-workers they favour and those they do not like or trust. Um, in a dental practice, I think one of the really hardest things is we don't have HR departments. Sometimes the people right. who own it have no idea about business or even what the rules are or the laws are. Um, a lot of the times in owners' defences as well, they're trying to see patients all day and run a business on the side when really it takes up so much time and they're trying to do it with minimal time spent on that. That can be really hard. And then I think sometimes the employer can be fantastic. They're not even part of it, but they don't deal with a toxic employee who's really causing a lot of dramas in the whole practice. And then that can yes. have a huge flow effect as well. So my first red flag, Melissa, I'll see if you agree, because what we kind of thought today was is if you're going for an interview, think about these things, whether you're a new grad or an experienced dental hygienist or OHT, have these things in the back of your mind. And um, this one might be controversial, the first one, but the husband and wife own the practice together. One of them is the practice manager. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help but laugh. <laughs> what do you it think, is, Melissa? Uh, <laughs> it's funny because it, it it is a red flag. I have been in situations where it's been terrible, and I've been in situations where it was actually pretty good. Um, but I've also had a mother and son situation, and that was god awful. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's it's just interesting because I think it. It, it is a red flag. I, I wouldn't say it's a deal breaker, but it's definitely a red Great. flag. And I would I would want to get to know that dynamic and that situation. Um, you know, like you have at the end of the day, yes, they're husband and wife. And it depends on like, what's the hierarchy here? Is the wife like in the practice every day? Is the wife the, managing the practice? Is the wife a dental assistant, a dental hygienist? Like what what's the situation? And how did they come to this relationship where they separate and work together and then came together? Was there um, some scandal behind that happening? Because I've been in situations like that as well. Um, but, you know, I think you need to, it's definitely a red flag, but it's an investigative red flag. Um, I've, I've worked in a situation too, where the wife was more kind of like HR and in the background and was a really, really supportive to the team, really there to, to fill that gap where the husband was so in the thick of like doing the dentistry and trying to build the business that she was this like HR person who you could come to when you had an issue. And she was more like, well, what do we need to do to make this work? How can we work this out? So that was like actually a really great situation. So it just really depends on that dynamic. So I would say Hairs on the back of your neck up, but do some investigation before you decide. Agreed. Um, red flag number two, communication is unclear. So good communication is the foundation of any business, not just the dental practice, but any business. So how do they communicate you to you through the interview process? Do they, um, do they have a job description? Do you know what's expected of you? Do they let you know the exact time that you should come from an interview? And, you know, just communicating well with you, if it's, it's not well then or they can't communicate how the job and what they expect from you. Again, they could just be having a bad day, but it would be something that, you know, can they get this information to me? On the day, maybe they're running late and they didn't have a chance to get it for you, but is there a chance to get this to you in total? Because before I start the job, I'd want a clear outline of what's expected from me. You know, if they're a production-driven practice, one, 
what is the production? Two, what are your fees? Is it even feasible what you're expecting from me? You know, you want $5,000 a day, but you charge 50 bucks for the clean? Hello, we got some problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's just not, like it's an impossible goal to hit. Yeah. So I think communication in those first steps and really defining what they expect from you is really important. And if they can't define that or they don't want to work with you to define it, because maybe they've never had a dental hygienist before and they don't actually know what to do. So maybe they'll be open to, I don't know how to define it, but could you help me? So none of these things are deal breakers so far, but, you know, like I think they're good questions to ask and get it. Because if you don't, if you can't get an answer at all, I'd be a bit worried. Absolutely, because here's the bottom line, and, and Tabitha and I have shared on numerous occasions that when we were younger baby hygienists, we made a lot of mistakes just from a base of not knowing. So we're here to be like your big sisters and help you guys out as you navigate this as a newer hygienist to the field. So like, you know, I would go to my first interview and there was, we discussed an exchange, right? There's an ex a transaction happening and that was, I would accepted X amount of dollars per hour to treat their patients on the hour every hour through these days of the week that were determined by we agreed upon hours like eight to five or what have you so then then all of a sudden you know you start going to work and doing your thing and thinking you're good and um then they tell you after the fact oh like tabitha just said you have a production goal and we'll give you a bonus yay we'll give you a bonus if you hit your production goal well if you don't investigate what that goal is versus what the fees are then how, how will you ever hit that it's not going to happen um, and then the other thing too, is that you could show up to work after a holiday and they say to you, you know, you get your paycheck and they're like, you say, how come I didn't get that holiday pay? I'm like, oh, you make too much money. We didn't, we didn't tell you, you don't get paid holiday. Illegal. That's, yeah, so yeah. So this is, these are all things or, um, you know, you're, you go in and your morning fell apart and they were like, Oh, you, you can go home and come back at 12 because you don't, your morning just totally fell apart. <clears throat> there's something called, this is a U.S. law. Um, there's something called waiting to engage. So when you are in contract with an employer to see their patients on their premises at this designated time, it's illegal for them to send you home. If you have a patient who cancels at the end of the day and you elect, yeah, if you elect to go home, that's one thing. If you take a lo longer lunch because you have the freedom in your, your schedule, that's one thing. But if they tell you to clock out because there is no patient, that is illegal. So yeah. these are, are like 1099ing you um, if you're not temping for the day. That is also illegal. They, they are your employer and they are obligated to pay all of those associated taxes. So like these are little things that we didn't know any better. And um, we're just literally scratching the surface, but those are just some things that you want to investigate. So yeah, it, doctor says to you, hey, we've got this great bonus program. Oh, that's awesome. I would love to see that in writing. And I would also like to see the fee schedule associated with it so I could see if I could achieve that goal for, for this team. And I think building on what you said, um, Melissa, like, you know, not knowing some things, this is where a contract's really important. If an employer says, no, 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 it's okay. I'm really, I'm nice. We don't need a contract. That's the biggest red flag you're ever going to see. Get things in writing because yes. people go back on their word. They forget what they've said. They change mm -hmm. their mind and then you mm -hmm. are not covered. Get it in writing. And I have yes. this it's multiple times and I am still learning it the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Um, and, you know, it's really interesting 
Uh, I've been a dental hygienist for more than 20 years, and the last practice I was in was the first time I was presented with an employee handbook and an actual contract. Excellent. Yeah, that's really good. And I think, you know, you say that I'd like to see the contract before I give my acceptance of an offer because there can be, like, I got a contract once. I've always had a restrainer trade put on me, um, and I understand that I always will get one. And um, that's What does that mean? I don't know what that means. So in Australia, there's a thing called restraint to trade and they will stop you working within a certain radius of the practice for a certain amount of time. And some clinicians don't do it. I have found that as I have become more successful in my career, the restraint to trade has become a big point of discussion in my contracts because they don't want me working somewhere else and the patient's following me. And they understand right. that if I went down the road, they probably would follow me. So, mm-hmm. um, but I read that closely because I got a restrainer trade of like, they put in like 40 Ks and I was like 40 kilometers, like it'll take me two hours to go to work. If I work somewhere else, like I will negotiate five kilometers with you for a radius of your business. And I won't negotiate anymore. And I'm not going to do a whole year. I'll give you this many months. And so, you know, you can negotiate or I would have walked away and said no to that contract 40 kilometers for a year. Like, and don't ever, ever go, oh, well, because really some of those things are unfair and, that, and if you fought it, it wouldn't hold up, but you would have to go fight it. So don't sign anything thinking, oh, it wouldn't hold up. Fix it and don't right. sign it. Right, right, yeah. And if they don't, if you ask for a contract and they don't want to give you one, say, okay, I'll bring back one and then we can review it and if you're amicable, then we can sign it. Yeah, because and it's true, have- they will go back on their word. There's Hygiene Association in Australia. I know the Dental Hygiene Association in Australia, if you're a member, you can actually get like a copy of like a contract. I know the Australian Dental Association for dentists, they actually provide contracts to their um, like ones to their um, members as well. So they can access one very easily as well. So it is easy for them to get one. It's easy for you to get one and um, make sure that you really get that contract. Definitely, definitely. Another question I ask, and it leads into my next point, is one of the questions I ask in an interview all the time is, how long have your employees worked here? Yes. Yes. And when I ask, when they say, like, oh, you know, what was the reason for your last employee, like the person I'm replacing, why are they leaving? Yeah. Now, sometimes people leave for reasons because they just want to change. They've been somewhere for a really long time and, and it's time to, you know, they feel like I've done, I, this has definitely been me. I felt like I've reached everything I can do in that practice and now I'm a bit bored and I want the challenge of a new practice. Yeah. They could be moving to state. They could be having kids. There can be lots of really good reasons why people leave and it's no reflection of that practice at all. But if the employer then goes into bitching about that employee and bad-mouthing them in the um, interview there's a red flag. Yeah, big time. I've left a workplace before because it was hell on earth and I definitely wouldn't mention in the interview, that practice was hell on earth. I was just like, you know, I'm ready to expand and, you know, be polite. I don't think in interviews the time to talk inappropriately about people. And you don't know when you're interviewing if that person knows your boss or you might know that employee. So I would be polite all the time so it doesn't bite you in the butt. Absolutely, because the dental community is so huge and small at the same time. So yeah. 
it's you, you just always have to present yourself with grace and compassion and kindness, even in situations where it's not, you know, the most favorable or somebody else is behaving in a negative manner. Just don't ever change your character, you know, and drop down to that level because that person is, is engaging in that behavior. Yeah. Now, here's another one. If they ask you super personal questions in your job interview, if they ask you your ethnicity, your religion, your sexual orientation, or your plans to have children, run. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, that's illegal in most countries. It's illegal (laughs) and it's inappropriate. And, you know, what religion you are makes no difference to anyone. If they're asking you that in the job interview, I'd have very huge concerns for the type of employer they are. Absolutely. Or if they make inappropriate <clears throat> comments towards you or sexual innuendos or anything like that, run, 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 run. So I just had an idea. So Tabitha, I'm interviewing you. Um, yeah. So Tabitha, Tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, personally, what religion do you practice? Are you married? Do you have children? Uh, you know, what, what's your, what, what is your, give me a little background on you. I find that very awkward. I will be really honest. I've had people say this and I, it's made me uncomfortable in the interview because I am a polite person in situations like that. And you're trying to um, withhold it. But I personally would probably say, um, you know, I prefer not to discuss my religion. Um, I'm very happy to discuss that I have kids in an interview. Um, and I think you have to kind of gauge where it comes from. Sometimes people are asking because they're like, tell me about you. Like, But I don't think if I'm married has anything to do with anything. And I'd be quite happy to say that, I think. Like, you know, my religion and my marital status and that is separate. But I'll tell you a little bit about me. You know, I'm energetic. I like to do this. I love to travel. You know, I'll tell them some non but I don't want to share that information with people, to be honest. And I don't think it has anything to do with it. And I probably got a little bit of a chip on my shoulder from when I was a single mum, And I knew that that was negatively looked on as well. So those questions really pissed me off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was great. I just wanted to show an example of how you can answer. Yeah, I would, I would just kind of uh, Yeah, or I would ignore it completely and just not mention it and just say, but I would not want to probably proceed if they were asking that word. I would, I would ignore that bit and then I would just go, oh, about me, blah, 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 and go in like that. But, yeah, the religion would – I'm I'm happy to mention it on air. Like I'm very proudly Jewish, but I'm very aware that that comes with some anti-Semitic attitudes and it's not something I want to discuss in an interview. But sometimes I think maybe it is something I want to discuss because I'd like to weed you out right now. <laughs> <laughs> you're not checking all all of my boxes which is something we've said in the past in other episodes yeah yeah you know like we've we've mentioned in the past that you are when you're interviewing so going on an interview you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you and it's yes. important to kind of like mentally prepare yourself for that and it's if they're giving you pushback yeah. on these questions that you're asking, that is a red flag. Like, why do you want to know this? Or even if you ask me, I see the operatory or, you know, uh, surgery that I'm going to be working in and start rifling through the draws to look at instruments and they're looking at you like you're crazy. That's a flag. Oh my God. Melissa made the best point there. If you're in an interview, go and have a look inside the surgery. And I think maybe I told this story on a new grad one before, but I went to a practice such a beautiful practice like I walked in and like when you walked in the um waiting room it was like 
wow, like you looked at it and you thought, I'd be really proud to tell people I worked here. Do you know what I mean? Like you look at it yeah. and it had a really like zen feel and I went into the staff room and it was massive and nice because, you know, I've worked in some practices where we literally eat lunch inside a cupboard and yeah. like Harry Potter. And it was beautiful. And then so like I interviewed, the interview went for ages and then I was like, oh, could I have a look inside the surgery because I was going to clean someone's teeth. So I was like, can I just familiarize myself? And when I walked in, it was aesthetically pleasing in the fact that it had a lot of natural light and it looked over a pond and that was really pretty. But the first thing I noticed was there was four surgeries there. The other three surgeries had brand new chairs and I'm sure my grandparents weren't alive when this chair was built. (laughs) So typical hygiene. We're literally like Cinderella. (laughs) Pedal this one? Like... It was so old and crappy. And I was like, oh, that's a bit, mm. I was like, why is this so cheap? But, you know, that, that's fine. I really don't need a whiz-bang chair as a dental hygienist. I really do just lay it back and forth because, you know, I have my airflow over next to me and I'm not using that many right. bit, like on things in the chair. But then when I had a look in the drawers, I was like, where are the scalers? Like I can't find the scalers and I can't find heaps of things. So then I walked out to find the dentist and I said, I'm just setting up for this perio patient that I'm going to treat and I can't find any of the scalers. And she's like, they're in the drawer. And I'm like, I'm really sorry. Like I looked and I can't find it. And then she was a bit like snarky and she's like, well, you didn't look properly then. And I'm like, I'm really sorry. It's not my surgery. Can you help me? So she came in and she opened it and she goes there. And I said, that's one sickle. Where are the rest? <laughs> and it was an old blunt sickle. I would like to put that out. I'm like, where are yeah. the rest of that? And she's like, oh, um, I haven't had any good hygienists here yet. So when you prove yourself, I'll buy them. And I was like, who can prove themselves with a sickle and a blunt sickle? <laughs> like, I'll have carpal tunnel before I can prove myself to you. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to break me. Eight millimeter pocket with a with a yeah, super gingival tickle. <laughs> so before you say yes to a job, I I say it is a must, a must. Unless it's a perio office, where I would would be so shocked if you ever saw anything like that in a perio office. But it is uh, a I must wouldn't here in the US. <laughs> For all offices, it is a must that you walk and you say, "Can I please say?" see the equipment you're just asking to see this office space and remember you're potentially going to walk work in this space for 40 hours a week it's more time than you're going to spend with your loved ones right make it a nice environment if you're working someone with a blunt sickle in a room with no window a chair a cupboard door that falls off every time you open it and a chair from 1920 it's probably not going to be a nice week every week No, no. And you know what? To go off of this story, because I think there is some valid ways to navigate around a response like that. There are a lot of doctors who have just, you know, been burned by hygienists and, you know, they've invested in equipment technology and it sits and they don't use it. And then they get, you know, they, they, they have a chip on their shoulder. They get a bit jaded because of that situation. And here you walk in and you know you're not of that way and you want to do the best you can for your patients and you're going to utilize all of the um instruments that you have to be able to do that you know so there 
there's a little bit of a communication situation that you could navigate it. It is a red flag, but again, it's not, it, it doesn't have to be a deal breaker. It depends on how that doctor responds. So like the, the response Tabitha got, not a good one. I'd be like, peace out. I'm not breaking myself for you. But if, yeah. <laughs> but on the flip side, if a doctor said, you know what, I do, I, I do realize that we, we need an instrument upgrade in hygiene and I've really kind of been holding off for the right employee so um, tell me what you need and, and we can start working together and put compiling a list. And if they say, like, let's order some now and then we'll do the rest later, like that's they're still kind of feeling you out and trying to trust you, too. So that I wouldn't say that that's a deal breaker. Um, but, you know, I would I would turn back around and say, OK, that's great. Let's uh, let's kind of phase this and do this to get it started. But would um, an instrument budget be something that we could discuss and put into my contract? Because. There's a constant need, a constant need for that. You can't set hygiene up once in like 1999 and think my hygiene department's awesome. Cool. We're done. That doesn't work, you know, and, um, uh -huh. you know, depending and depending on the technology that you're utilizing, you know, doctors don't even know what's in the hygiene world. They, their heads are so deep into restorative dentistry that they generally don't a have time to check out what's new and, and great in hygiene and B they, they don't, it's, it's not their driving force. Like that's not, they, if they got lit up about doing hygiene, they'd be a hygienist, but they're not, yeah. they're lit up on restoring patients health with dental health. So, you know, it, you, I would encourage you to come to the table and not be afraid to make suggestions. Um, with equipment and technology, because a lot of hygienists I hear, they say, oh, that's too expensive. They'll never go for it. And they never ask. And when you don't ask, the answer is always going to be no. So 100%. what is the harm in asking? Right? 100%. You don't get what you don't ask for. You're going to have to ask. You very rarely will just get it thrown at you. And um, yeah. and I can agree with what you said. And I've done that as well. It's like, I'm going to need more than this. And then, okay, yeah, great. You can order this stuff. So that's great. Um, it would all depend on what their answer is, uh, is like. Yes. Or they even Absolutely. know, like when I mentioned interview and when I said, oh, can I see what you got? And he was very honest with me because I don't have much because I haven't had a hygienist before. So I don't actually even mm -hmm. need what you need. And then he actually said to me, can you write a wish list of what would be if we started the per perfect hygiene department? How would we start and what would you get? And I wrote it and he wrote everything on it. Airflow, instruments, cassettes, packs, sharpening, like, I mean, everything I needed. And he was a he was a great employer. I never had to beg, borrow, and steal if I wanted something. If I wanted something, he would say to me, why are you speaking to me? I don't order. Speak to the receptionist and get it. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I was always, that's awesome. Order. And I'm like, oh, that's I just want to be quiet before I put money on the, the bill. <laughs> yeah, I had an employer like that too. And, and funny because also when I wanted the airflow, I – presented it to him and he, I mean, he, he reacted, you know, just cause it's a big bill that they're not used to paying for hygiene, but we ended up getting it. And then our relationship was of the same. Like if I needed something, like I would come to him in the beginning and be like, look, I really like to implement this or get this. And he'd be like, why are you telling me to go order it? You know? So it got to the point years later where I just like, as long as it wasn't over a certain dollar amount, I just went in ordered what I needed and nobody and he never said anything because he knew I was providing high level care, taking great care of his patients and it benefited the practice. So we just had this like 
we didn't even have to talk about it, but I did give him the respect that if, like I said, if it was a higher dollar amount, I went, presented it to him, talked to him about it before. I just didn't, you know, whip out his credit card, pull the trigger and, and make and a huge purchase without. About in previous episodes as well as like budgeting for the hygiene department, there should be a budget. And this is something to Absolutely. ask. What is the instrument budget for your preventative care department? Because we know an ultrasonic tip, depending on the brand, will last anywhere from 100 cycles to 1,000 cycles. Now, mm -hmm. you know how many days hygiene you do, how long your appointments are. So it's very easy to figure out that you're going to need to replace your tips when, at least. And that's if everything goes perfectly. Honestly, the one, even when they're saying 1,000, you know, if they get dropped, if they don't get put, like, taken care of properly, if the assistants aren't managing them properly, then they're not going to last um, as long. You know, as long as what the you know the perfect recommendations are so it should be expected that you're going to be getting new ultrasonic tips throughout the year it should be expected that you're going to be getting new hand instruments because you sharpen them and they're losing their thickness and they're getting thinner and then the more chance of them breaking and stuff like that and they're getting used you need to replace them they don't last mm -hmm. forever like someone said to me the other day we we're talking about some of the stay sharp instruments and they're like, they don't stay sharp. And I said, how long have you had them for? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, five years. <laughs> they're meant to last about six months. Done. So, well, I mean, if you think about it with, with your instruments, like I, one of the things I absolutely despise is sharpening instruments. I would do it if I'm doing a pario treatment and I would have my stone out right there. If I needed to, I could do what I needed to do and get going. But like, just to sit down and sharpen all of my cassettes, absolutely despise it. So, and I don't honestly, like I would tell the doctor, you don't want me to have that kind of schedule where I have the freedom to do that. I'm not yeah. making and producing at that point in time. So, um, you know, that's something that I would send out. I would just take half of my sets, send them to the company, have them do it for me, replace what needed to be replaced. And then when that half came back, I just would mark the ones that were, needed to go out and I would swap them over and do the other half and send it out. And that's something that also needs to be included in your instrument budget, your hygiene budget, because that I is something that a sharpening service. You don't have, you don't oh, have that. Oh my gosh. You don't have that luxury. Australian hygienists oh. are all sitting in the car or walking their dog right now going. There's a business idea for you ladies. Start a yeah. sharpening company. Do you have sharpening ability? Like, do you have stones or cards even there? Check the drawers right. in the job. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's a really great point because you can have that one dull sickle scaler and nothing to even sharpen. Not even a sharp word. <laughs> or it's like sharpened beyond its, you know, you, you're yeah. going to put it in someone's mouth, take one lateral pressure stroke, and boom, there it goes. And now it's the instrument is half sub G. Um, yeah. And that's the worst. Like, when that happens, God, baby hygienist Melissa's heart would like sink if when I broke an instrument, you know, but, and I would blame me and not think about all the other variables. Like you don't know how to scale. Oh my gosh, you're terrible. But mind you, like the thing has been sharpened beyond its lifetime. It is super thin. And now I'm just exerting lateral pressure on a deposit and that thing snaps. Like I am not he man. It shouldn't happen, but it happens. Yeah. And you know, you, you freak out at that time, but 
if it does happen, stay calm. It, that's why it's a good idea to always have a college plier in your set because if it's stuck and you need something to grab it, you know, that's that's a good way to go after it. And just make sure, you know, you just if you need to sit the patient up or it it's like dangling in the back of their throat and you need to pluck that oh. out, like you need the right instruments to grab all those things that happen to me. Um, and I, I could say, luckily, no one's ever swallowed it. So yay for me. Um, but like, those are all things like that's the, the problem with not having proper instruments and the consequence of over sharpening, this is where you're going to end up. And if a patient ends up swallowing something and now you have to make a big deal about it and, and report this to them and, you know, they need to get an x-ray, they need to make sure they pass it. There's, there's all these other things that are just, you know, not traumatic, but like dramatic and creates an issue that could have been avoided. So End of end of the day, ask for an instrument budget and make sure that you are eliminating these risk factors. Yeah, and like you know, just like your tires on your car need replacing, so do your instruments. Use that analogy. You're not going to use the same burr for four years, are you? Like, <laughs> thank you. I was just going to say that. <laughs> hopefully not, but yeah, like do you know what I mean like and and you know in their defense, sometimes some of the owners they may not even realize that your stuff needs replacing at the same time. How it works. Explain yeah. it explain what you think you would need. So communicate as well. Like we talk about good communications needed. It, it needs to come from us as well. Communicate what you expect and what you want because your employer isn't a mind reader and they may not even know you're wanting or you're getting upset or frustrated about things because you've just been quiet behind the scenes. Express it. But even better, talk about it in the job interview before you start with, you know, obviously my room needs maintenance. What kind of budget do I have for the hygiene department? This is kind of what, you know, I would be expecting. The more right, interest right. you have, the less you need to build up each. But if you've only been given three ultrasonic tips that are going boom, 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 boom through the autoclave, they're going to need to be replaced really fast because they're being used more often. Me, I've got like 10, 12 of them. I'm obviously not replacing them as often because the initial art layout was bigger, but I have all my different tips and different things and I'm not using them at the same speed. So that's something to think about as well. If you have three perio kits instead of 10 like me, you're going to need to replace them faster. Absolutely. And so you make sure you have your wear cards, make sure you're checking that yeah. stuff periodically, like every three months you should be able, and you shouldn't be told you can't do this and you shouldn't be told you have to clock out to do this, but you should be able to, Spend some time after patient hours or before patient hours, whatever it works. Or if you have a cancellation, you can utilize this your time to do that. But you need to do an assessment, environmental assessment of your operatory and make sure, you know, what needs replacing? What needs to be done? Is this light bulb out? Like things like that, that we just don't have time on the daily grind to assess and then create a list. And this is what I need. This is, you know, what's needs to be replaced, look, you know, take out the wear card, measure your ultrasonic instruments, you know, when, when it's beyond that, that wear part, you are now making your job harder ergonomically. You're making it more uncomfortable for your patient. You're making the treatment take longer because it's not, it's no longer efficient. So it doesn't benefit the practice. Don't make it about you as the clinician. Always present these things that in order to improve the patient experience, in order to make the practice more efficient, right? the department needs this. Take I yeah. out of it, you yeah. know, because That's then really it's you. It, yeah, it's and I, I am a, I have my, my great friend, Eileen Prizzy, who was on a few episodes ago uh, talking about oral systemic. She has raised awareness on this topic for me. She's like, you need to take you out of it. It's not about you. 
It's about the patient care, the practice. So just rewording that, it's it's been hugely beneficial in my life. And I, I hope to share that little nugget of wisdom with you as well. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, you got to do that environmental assessment. Like Tabitha said, you are spending a lot of hours in that room. So it, your your stuff should work and it should be efficient. And sometimes like, you know, you don't even know until you get into the weeds. Um, I had a practice who, you know, checked all the boxes. Everything was beautiful, had instruments and cassettes. And then when I got in there, I'm like rifling through, I'm like, where's a perio set? Like I'm, I'm doing non-surgical periodontal therapy. I don't have a perio set. And I brought that up to the office manager first. And then she's like, talk to doc about it. And I brought it up to doc. And it wasn't that like, I was wrong. And I was, I'm a church hygienist at this point. So I'm like, this is what I need to do my job. And I had no problem asking for it. But I could see like, baby Melissa hygienist would have thought, oh, gosh, well, maybe, maybe this is how hygienists, the other hygienists do it without. And I'm doing something wrong and I should also be able to do it without. So I'm not going to ask and I'm just going to suffer in silence. And that's not okay. So like in the last uh, practice I was in, there were four hygienists and the other hygienist who had been there for a really long time went to a perio training course and she approached non-surgical periodontal therapy with a different philosophy and didn't really use a lot of instruments, which is fine. But you still, like, I'm of the philosophy that I still need it there. I don't rely on my instruments as much, but I still need it there in case there's an area that I can adapt to. So, like, I have to have it if I am performing these kind of procedures because I need to have it in my arsenal. I need, it's, it needs to be there if I need to pick it up. So, um, you know, we just had a conversation that, look, in order for me to properly do this treatment, this is what I require. No problem. Order what you need. But if we didn't have, like, if we go into it thinking we're not right or we're doing something wrong because it's not there, then we're just, like, assuming and, and making things a lot harder on ourselves. It's not necessary. So please always do your research. Open your mouth. Speak from a place of patient care and, and get what you need. A hundred percent. Now, here's another red flag that, that may not be at all, but, like, you know, may not be, you have to investigate further again, but I definitely would make me ask some questions. We wear a lot of hats here. Now, oh that, yeah, that just mean, you know, and and I'm someone that's big for this. I will happily go into the stereo and, and scrub something up, or answer a phone, or do an account when everyone is slammed and busy. But I Absolutely. should not be expected to be taking payments, making appointments, answering the phone, doing my put. Like you know, like I can't be everyone. I'm not an assistant. Uh, I'm a hygienist. And so if they said that to me in the interview, I would just say, can you please explain what you mean by that? Yeah, no, that's a great point because just, um, just more information. It's, it, if you think about a dental practice like a sports team, so I, I've been a softball player my entire life. If you come in and you're, I'm a first baseman. I can't go out on the field and play first base and third base simultaneously. It's just physically not possible. And if you look at the dental practice the same way, like you will burn yourself out running back and forth, trying to do all the things that it's not in your job description to do, but it may, it's, it's a kind of like a slippery slope because like Tabitha said, like it doesn't mean that if you're free and the phone is ringing off the hook, you can't pick up the phone and, and just say, Hey, welcome to Dr. Jones's dental practice. Can you please hold? Or take the garbage out. I mean, don't be that prima donna that doesn't take the trash out yeah. at the end of the night, you know? Um, be a team player. 
but know the boundary where it's just now you're being taken advantage of, you know, and, and it's a real issue right now because there's so many staffing shortages. So, you know, if doc says to you, Hey, Wednesday's your day off. I have no assistant. Would you mind coming and assisting for me? And, you know, they don't even ask you to renegotiate your hourly wage because you're obviously getting a higher rate wage doing hygiene than assisting. And I could do, excuse me, and I could go in, it worked at my schedule, I could do it. Sure, doc, I'll help you out, no problem. You know, so like you have to kind of like use your professional judgment in it. It could be, a, like I said, it could be a slippery slope, but um, you know, it, it's not being a busy team and then getting told you're not a team player when you're trying to see patients and then, you know, answering the phone, taking payment, like that, that's, I've, I've done that, it's ridiculous. It is, <laughs> and it really, really sucks. It urgently is my next red flag and again like we said there could be a reason that person may have had to leave because of medical reasons you know they like i had a friend who mid-pregnancy had some complications and needed to go on bed rest so that's the her employer needed to urgently hire um you know they could have had their parents die or someone die or you know a, a total emergency in their life and the employee just has to leave all of a sudden and now you are urgently hiring so it can be far from a red flag for some practices. It would just right. mean I would ask a question. Why? Right. Right. I was temping one day. Throw her cassette on the ground and walk out because it was so toxic. She couldn't wait any more minute and they don't have anyone to even see the next patient. Or was there a full disaster? So I would just I... say, why? Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, I, I fun story. I walked into a temp job once, and they were like, "Oh, the hygienist before you passed away," and I was like, "Oh, oh dear God, I'm so sorry to hear that. Like, what was it tragic? What happened?" She was like in her 80s, and she was still practicing. And like, no, she peacefully passed in her sleep. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness! Like, what do I say to these people? <laughs> Yeah, urgently hiring. Do you mean like that was a very acceptable yeah. urgently hiring position? Exactly, exactly. So, you know, just ask questions. Just don't be afraid to ask questions. And, you know, you can even start it with like, oh, I'm curious, you know, what, what? Yeah. You know, what can is the situation? Advertising. So if you're seeing the same role advertised again and again, and it's like they've just got a permanent ad and it never comes down, I'd be a little bit worried. Now, I actually said to a friend's practice recently, they're an ortho practice and they're expanding. They bought another practice. They need to put on new people. And they needed to put on about six more hygienists in addition this year. And they said, oh, the last wow. ad's action. I said, did you write in the ad new position? I said, because someone, people are probably going, wow, they're advertising again. Wow, they're advertising again. So not all the time, like, you know, they could be expanding. But I would be a little bit worried if I saw the same practice, just advertising, advertising, advertising. I would bring up and go, is this a new, have you expanded? <laughs> Absolutely. It, like, it, it's okay to ask questions. I feel like that's like the theme yeah. here is that, you know, we, we, we feel like it's their office and we're walking in and, you know, we're just going to go into agreement with things. But no, you are your own, you're a provider of care. You have your own professional license. And uh, working with a doctor, it's kind of like a marriage. Like you guys need to be able to get along. You need to have the same kind of philosophy of care. And if there's multiple doctors and multiple hygienists in a larger practice, that, that makes 
for more of like a tricky situation because you philosophically might like be on with one doctor, like the, this doctor hygienist combo might get along great and, and share the same philosophy and approach to patient care. And another one might be underdiagnosing or another one might be overdiagnosing. And then you're sitting there feeling like, you know, just having that, that gut feeling like every time this, you know, you, you see this doctor walking in to do your exam. So it can be a really tricky situation. Um, so ask questions and, or even like after the fact, like if there's something that went down during an examination where you felt disrespected or, uh, you know, the, the doctor, you had to kind of lead him back. Like I always leave little notes. I, I always keep a sticky pad in my room. Um, and I just jot down the things that I've discovered or discussed with the patient during my heart tissue examination, occlusal examination, periodontal examination, whatever, because like the older I get, there's too much living in this brain and I need to make notes. So, um, you know, I'll write down like tooth number three, please check distal, distal aspect of occlusal, uh, you know, something along those lines. And if they check it or, or, you know, they get up and like, oh, everything looks good. I'm like, you know what, did you see? I don't know if you saw my note. Is, is, is the distal, like, it just looked a little, little stained to me. Um, I didn't really get a catch. Can you just, did you check that distal in number three? You know, th that happens. And I say something because you know what? My responsibility is to that patient at the end of the day. And I want to make sure that, you know, if there's something going on, my job again and my philosophy is preventative dentistry, right? So if I can intercept something in the early stages and not allow it to progress where now we're doing more invasive restorative work for that patient, that's my role. I'm, I'm aligned with that. So I have no problem saying something like that to the doc because that trumps their ego. Yeah. And I think that that's a thing too, that people don't really always consider. And when you have this, this team dynamic where there's multiple docs and multiple hygienists and everybody kind of looks at things a little bit differently, it could be a, a sticky situation. Um, you know, and, and then what I had in my last uh, clinical experience was uh, <clears throat> I was working with a lot of newbie dentists and here I was you know, yes, they're the doctor. So hierarchically, or, I can't speak, they're, they're higher on the food chain than I am, but I had way more experience than they did. And there were times that I had to lead some of them down a different treatment plan road because I was looking at it from a bigger picture where because their newness, they were still like single toothing the dentistry out. So, you know, that's something that, you know, I, I would just, and you can handle it with class. Like, hey, doc, you know what? I was looking in that area. I, I you know, th there's definitely carries on number 20. I know our numbering's a little bit different, but um, I know there's carries on number 20, but we're edentulists on uh, number number 19. And there's also a aging filling on number 18 with the margins breaking down. Um, that ridge looked like it was kind of collapsed. So I didn't think 19 was really a candidate for an implant. Let me, can you like just feel that ridge and, and give me your opinion on that? And if you agree, I'm thinking maybe rather than just restoring number 20, would this patient be a candidate for a three unit bridge? And we can restore that function and that occlusion again. And I asked it like a question just like that. And we changed the treatment plan. Lo and yeah. behold, you know, so who benefits at the end of the day? Number one, it's the patient because the patient needs the comprehensive care. We need to always restore health and function to the patient. Number two, did that doc benefit? Yeah, I just changed that treatment plan from a couple hundred dollar filling to a couple thousand dollar bridge. So, you know, like, yes, the doctor benefited. So is the doctor at the end of the day going to be upset with me that I just made help that doctor make more money? No. Yeah. But there could be an ego thing with the way you present it. So I think when you ask questions, 
and get, you know, I'm curious, this is what I assessed. What do you think it yeah. is an easier way to present that and not have it be like, who is this hygienist? Like, she could tell me what to do, you know? So that could be, that could be an issue too. So my next point is the clinical trial. Now I see people message mm. like right on about this. What do you think about a clinical trial? I actually think a clinical trial is the best thing you can do and jump at it and say Agreed. yes. I've yeah. actually seen practices when they haven't asked, can I please do one? And the reason is yes. I am now interviewing this practice in this trial. I'm actually using mm -hmm. the instrument. Like, do I pick up, like, so you look in the drawer and yeah, there's some instruments, but then when you pick them up, you're like, um, this 13, 14 has been sharpened on both sides and now it's some sort of, <laughs> <laughs> they're all like this. Like the, the death doesn't even know, to be honest. Um, right. you know, oh, actually, like the room looks really nice, but three of the buttons don't work and the light doesn't turn on properly. And do you know what I mean? Like you can figure out all the glitches and, all right, it may aesthetically look okay, but it's terrible. You can get a real feel for the team because yes. you can see how they're interacting. And, yes, some of them might be on their best behaviour. Some of them might not. But you can see, you can kind of see how organised they are and, and also, you can test out your personality with their personalities because sometimes mm -hmm. that doesn't click and that's okay. It actually means nothing about either of you. <coughs> Excuse me, everyone. <coughs> Sorry, I have to get a drink, Melissa. It's okay. I've had COVID again. <coughs> Sorry, B, you're going to have to cut cut out my coffee. I wrote down the time when it happened, so you can send it to her. You, oh, got this coffee. Sorry, it's not it. long COVID, is it? <laughs> it is. Yeah. <clears throat> Can't get rid of it. Um, yeah, you want to see how, I'm sorry, everyone, for the coffee. You want to see how your personalities gel. Because I'm a big personality. Am I going to be okay in this practice? Are they going to handle me? Am I going right. to be able to interact with this dentist are we because we have to spend a lot of time together like are we do we like it do i like them do i think i like that kind of personality or do i not like that you know like you, you want to suss that out and you'll really find that out during a trial some trial time what i don't yeah, like definitely is disgusting i'm okay to clean one of the if they just want to do a one patient i will happily clean a staff member's teeth for free you will not charge me out and make money off me and not pay me. And not that pay is me. Yes. Invite me in for the day to work eight hours for free so that you've got someone staffing your hygiene? No. You will pay me for that trial day. If you want me to do a full eight hours, I'm more than happy to do it because I think it's fantastic. But you'll pay me like a casual. Because if you haven't given mm -hmm. me the job, I'm still in the interview process. You will pay me like a casual. We will negotiate a rate and I will work the day for free for you like I'm a temp. Wait, for fee, for a fee, sorry, not for free. Yes, like yes. I will happily yes. come in and do one hour and clean the hygiene, the, the receptionist teeth or the dental nurse's teeth so that they can get a sense that I am gentle and I am nice and stuff like that. And that person's not paying for it. But you don't make exactly. money and abuse it because some employers try to line up five, six of them and get six days of hygiene done for free and not pay anyone. That's not crazy. okay. And that is a red flag. Run, 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 run. Absolutely. And um, you know what? Go onto Word or Google Docs and make yourself an invoice. There's a template for it. 
and send them an invoice for your time if they're giving you a hard time over paying that. And then um, if they don't pay you, you know, maybe as a, as a, just a backup, print out the schedule while you're there so that you have a record of being there, the patients that you treated, um, and keep that with you, you know, until you get paid. Obviously, it is a HIPAA issue, so you want to make sure that you're shredding that at home and not, you know, doing something with it that because that could be a violation. But you, you need to kind of, like, CYA, cover yourself. Um, yeah, negotiate you know. before you walk in there. All right. Yeah. What rate do you want to pay? How do you want to do this? Get it all sorted. What forms do you need me to fill in before I do this? Because yeah. you want to be covered it as should... well. If you're not being acting in paid employment, is there work cover paying you if there's an accident? You know, like, make sure you're covering yourself safety-wise as well. Yeah, that's a great point. So you should, if you're going in on a day like this, they should ask you to fill out a W-9 here in the U.S. Um, and it's going to kind of like be a 1099 day. They're not going to take the taxes out for you. So it's going to be kind of independent contractor-ish. But, um, you know, because I've seen people go in and discuss and do all the right things ahead of time. And then the office, like a month later, not send a check. Two months later, still not send a check. So make sure that you have, like, create an invoice. Bring it with you that day. It can be a little tricky if the hours you pre-negotiated changed, um, but, you know, have send them an invoice and then you have a paper trail of this as well. And if you can get a copy of that schedule, um, the the what was the other thing I wanted to say? Oh, my brain isn't working at this early in the morning. There's something else I wanted to say about that, too. It'll come back to me. <laughs> One of the um, other points as well that I would have is so you've done all of these things, but your gut and you may seem like a like, pretty good well there's like one or two things that you're like oh I'm not sure about that but your gut is saying run I will say from experience run listen to your gut listen to your gut if your gut is saying there is something majorly wrong here and you've got other options look at the other options yeah definitely before called um the gift of fear it's a very good book and it talks all about trusting your gut and how important your instincts are and how, how they really do work. Unless you have anxiety, then you need to see your doctor and it's not your gut. Um, but but if you're getting that, oh, I feel a bit yucky about this, listen to it and, and or just try and think about it, meditate on it, write a pros and cons list, try and pull apart what's giving you that feeling and, right. and dig into that because it is something to be wary of. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I usually say to the students as they're approaching, you know, graduation and going out in, into the real world is that if it feels icky, it is icky. And, yeah. you know, we, we can go into agreement and try to rationalize things that aren't correct. But there is something so powerful about your energy and what your body is trying to warn and tell you that I don't think we always listen to that. We, we you know, we'll just say, oh, no, it's just this or, oh, no, it's just that because we start to use our our uh, rational thought to, to just make excuses for things that aren't right because, you know, our brain is, is designed to protect ourselves and it goes into that. So don't, don't ignore your gut. That's a great point, Tabitha. Another question to ask in the interview and how it's answered is quite important. What is the structure for feedback? Mm, yeah. Will you have a formal review in three months and discuss how things are going from both sides? If there is an issue at work, how will it be dealt with? Will your boss get all huffy and not speak to you for three days or will he come to you and speak to you, address it, move on? You know, I'm someone that likes it just to be addressed, let's move on and go. 
yeah. I hate passive aggressiveness with asking me in a roundabout way. I that is my most hated thing. Come to me directly and say it. That, yeah, you know, or say what it is. Yeah, or coming into your operatory for an exam, or like <clears throat> you know, you go in and ask for the exam. Oh, you again. You know, those little things that are just like, they, they grade on you. There's no reason for you to be treated that way. It's not funny. You know, like I'm yeah. here contracted to do a job and you coming in to do an examination as part of that. Teach your admin team to book your schedule differently. You know, if you don't like me interrupting you at this time. So, and, you know, don't own that stuff. That's <laughs> not for you. And if they want to um, say something in an interview, like where they say, oh, look, I'm going to start you off on this wage. And then this will be re reviewed at this time in a contract. Have that written down. That I am starting yes. at this lower weight than what you wanted to. And at this three-month mark, it'll be this. And what are your expectations for me to obtain that pay rise at that three, six, or 12-month mark? Talk Absolutely. about that then. What are they, is it just deprecating you and trying to never give you the pay rise? Because if they're, if they're saying they're going to give it to you in three months, then they'll know what the expectations are for you to get it how you meant to achieve yeah. it. That comes down to good communication, how you meant to get what you want if you don't know what they want you to give them. Absolutely. And I would take it one step further and say, okay, that's great. Three months, we're going to have a performance review. Can we go ahead and put that on the calendar right now so we have that date secured so we can meet and discuss it then? Because yeah. they will blow you off. Yeah. Yep. It'll be four months, then it'll be five months, then it'll be six months, and they will keep on blowing you off. So make sure you have it scheduled because if it isn't scheduled, it ain't happening. A hundred percent. Now here's, you've got the job. You, they've passed all the red flags. <laughs> you walked in there and some red flags inside the practice for me would be dysfunctional management. There's no yeah. clear management. There's no one managing the team and things are going really bad, that's a huge red flag for how things will progress in that surgery. Mm -hmm. And then also there's, a, it's a business at the end of the day, we have to make money and we all have to understand that. As much as we wanna be healthcare providers, if you wanna be a healthcare provider, you're gonna to have to cover your wage. So I 100% get that. But if money comes first over patient care, there is an issue at that practice. Yes. Because Definitely. when you're always putting the patient first, the dollars fall into place. Organically. Yeah. Yeah. And so in I our, think it's important. Would you say that in our cumulative 40-plus years of dental practicing dental, and specializing in dental hygiene, that it just, like, where your energy goes, the finances flow. So if you're really just properly diagnosing and properly educating patients, they might not accept that treatment plan, appointment one, maybe not even appointment two, but they will eventually move forward. Yeah. Sometimes they have to test the waters and, and learn to trust you and do a little investigation on their own. They can't, sometimes when you're throwing a giant treatment plan at somebody, they can't digest that in an hour's time, you know? Uh -huh. and, and, when you, and when you discover something radiographically that day, you know, and now we're telling you, you know, you need to go get a root canal or you need an extraction. Like that's, there's an emotional piece to that, you know, and we get so desensitized to it. So, um, you know, you just really come to it with that, that piece of it, that if it feels icky with misdiagnosing or supervised neglect, that's, that's not something you want to leverage your license for. Like, and, and something else I'll share with the students while they're still fresh 
Like, remember how difficult this time was, how hard you worked to learn all these things and treat patients and earn this degree and then take your boards and earn your license. Don't leverage that for anyone. There is nothing that somebody will share to you that you should do that would put your license at risk. And one of the things that I've experienced is that oftentimes it doesn't even come from the dentist. It'll come from the admin team who has zero clinical background. They might be in dentistry for a very long time and they might know a lot about the business side of dentistry, but they, unless they have the same degree as you and went through the same program you went through, they don't have your dental knowledge. So don't lower a standard based on what someone else is telling you you should do when they are not a licensed dental professional matching the level of education you have. That was my next point is don't <laughs> lower standards for anybody. I segued it beautifully. Yeah, you segued it beautifully because you have to go to sleep at night and live yeah. with how you work. So you don't work out of your scope just to make somebody else some extra money. They will not protect you. No. Don't work on anything. Just do the right thing and do it well. And if someone's asking you to lower your standards, find a new role. Unfortunately, that's you need to go somewhere else. It's not the right yep. place to work. Yeah, and Absolutely. that, that and, and know that they are when when the rubber meets the road, they're not going to protect you. They're going to protect themselves. So carry your own professional. Uh, in malpractice insurance. I don't know if that's a thing in Australia. All three in Australia, we have to. Okay. So yeah. it's kind of, it's, it's optional in the U.S. It's so inexpensive. I mean, I have extra riders on mine because I can give local anesthesia and, and I go out and present. I have a presenter rider on it as well. And it still only costs me like $120 a year. So it is well worth, you could probably get a plan for under $100 if uh, you needed to but it's a way to protect the investment you've made in yourself, uh, protect your professional license. And it's your responsibility. A lot of hygienists go into these things with the mindset that, oh, the practice is going to cover me. No, like, yes, you are covered under the office, but if it comes down to it and you have to sit on a stand and defend yourself and you have no way to recover or protect yourself, like, no, that's not okay. And if it isn't written in your chart, it didn't happen. So make sure you document everything comprehensively and thoroughly, even down to like if a patient had a negative attitude about something, you can find a way to professionally document that. Um, because, you know, like we in our last episode where Kevin had shared that he did a head and neck exam and they turned around and said that they felt that he touched them inappropriately, you know, like that's that needs to just be documented because you never know what that individual is going to take with that and then go do, you know, they could be calling up their lawyer and saying, I just got touched inappropriately at the dental office. And you know, that could become a thing. Uh, off topic, but um, dance like no one's watching, write your notes like your lawyer is, or we hit in court one day. The, uh, yes. That's a good one. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Very good. Very good. I've been yelled at for before we had um, digital documentation. I used to get yelled at, Melissa, you write a novel and every patient, oh my gosh, you're taking up so much paper in the chart. It's so thick. I'm going to continue writing my novels. I don't care because this is how I document patient care. If you're too cheap to buy paper, that's on you, not on me. Raise your fees. And so um, one of the last points that we're going to come to is if respect isn't being given, if you're being treated poorly, if you're being disrespected, if you're being bullied, 
learn to leave the table. It is not yeah. worth your mental health. It is not mm-hmm. worth being in a practice like that. Look for another job. Look after yourself. When the respect isn't being given, you need to stand up and leave. And I stayed in practices too long and I didn't realise how much of a mental, like how much that was hurting me mentally, emotionally, not just me, like the flow and effect of my family when I come home shitty and and bark at everyone. Um, It is, Mm -hmm. it's not worth it. So if you don't have a workplace, if you feel like you're being dismissed and treated poorly, look for the right role, take your little red flag list into the interviews and don't quit dentistry because it is a great, you know, if you love it, obviously if you don't like it, go do something you love. But, you know, if right. you've got there, that's something for you. But if you love dentistry but you just feel like you're at the wrong practice, find the right practice because there are really good employers out there. There are really lovely people. There are really good practices. Maybe it's even just changing to a different field. Like maybe it's going to ortho for you or going to perio or, going to peds or staying in general, like find your fit, find your niche and find that right practice and it will make a, um, a big difference. And also even self-reflect a little. Are you burnt out? Are you run down? Is there something going on? Are you taking that negative attitude into work and then it's having a flow-on effect? Are you at the wrong practice and it's not working and it's creating a toxic environment and you need to leave? Just have a look. And But either way, just go. Go find somewhere where you're going to be happy because it's too many hours of your week. Definitely. And you deserve to be happy. Like there is so much fulfillment and enjoyment in what we get to do for our patients every day. Like we have the honor to serve people in a way that nobody else in healthcare can and build relationships and, and just enjoy what you do. And you deserve that. It's yes, it's work. And yes, it's hard, but you deserve to enjoy the work that you do and be passionate about it. And, and have some fun every day. And if you're just not having fun, it, it might not be the profession itself. It might just be where you're practicing it. So, you know, I think it's good to kind of like reassess every quarter, you know, what's working, what's not working. Um, what can you do? I think we, we like to point as humans, we point the finger a lot, but yeah. sometimes you got to just look to yourself first and say, I don't like this. And there's power in writing things down, like grab a a legal pad and and jot these things down. Um, I don't like this happening in the office, but what am I bringing to this situation? Like, how do I alter what I'm doing to see if I can adjust this outcome? You know, and sometimes it's just a shift in your own mindset that makes a big difference in a situation. So, you know, kind of kind of like look at things, do a critical appraisal of yourself sometimes. And then if you still can't get to an answer, then then you bring it and have a discussion. May I talk to you about a situation? I'm, I'm looking for a solution. Um, you know, don't be a chronic complainer. You can come with a problem, but come with it like come to the table and saying this is the problem and I need some help finding a solution. This is what I've done so far. And I, I feel like we haven't moved the needle on a solution yet. So when you ask for help come to it like in a very solution-based approach. Yeah. No, I I think they're really, really good points. And I think self-reflecting is a hard skill and we've talked about it before, but a really, really important one. You know, I'm still learning and and we all are, but, um, you know, it's also a really good thing. We've chatted for over an hour tonight now. Like I told Melissa before we did this one, I'm like, this one's going to be so easy. This one's just going to be us going being able to talk about this because we've been there. And I think sometimes uh, something I'd like to point out is 
that obviously Melissa and I have had some great success in our career and people think that then this doesn't happen to us or we don't find ourselves with shitty employers or we don't find ourselves having a shitty time in the workplace. It is far from that. I wish I could say that, but I can't. So don't think you're alone. It happens to all of us no matter where you are in your career. We've just got a little bit more seasoned, maybe a little bit more jaded. And, um, <laughs> and as I'm getting older, I just won't take as much bullshit. I'm like, no, 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 won't be doing that. Nope, won't be doing yep. that. And I've grown in confidence to say no. As a baby hygienist, I didn't have the confidence to say it, but I should have. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. We've experienced it. We will experience it again. Um, it, it's life. It happens. But we've just got to pick ourselves up, move on, and find the right fit. Absolutely. Control what you can and let go of what you can't. Yeah. Yeah, I know. So thank you, everyone. Um, we hope you're having a great week and wherever you're listening, um, you know, we really, really appreciate that you're joining in. We've got heaps of really good speakers that we want to get on, but Melissa's and my schedules have been hectic. Um, and, you know, it is coming into the silly season, as I like to call it, and we will have a break <laughs> over that silly season as well because we all need it. But yes. Yes. Um, we really appreciate it, and we hope that you're all having a really great week. Yeah, and when we re are recording this episode, we are a little over a week out of Thanksgiving, So, um, and I get to celebrate with my bestie. She's coming to my house for her first Thanksgiving in America. So I'm so excited. I, I can't wait. Get um, ready for photos, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to photo bomb Facebook. Um, yeah. But what I wanted to just say is that in the honor of, in honor of Thanksgiving, um, Tabitha and I are so grateful and thankful for how this little podcast has grown. Um, the, the listenership, the feedback that we get, um, leaving your reviews, uh, you know, the comments you make on social media. We're so thankful for every single person that chooses to open up their phone and their app and listen to this podcast. So I wanted to just say thank you so much for disrupting with us and being on this ride with us. And when we do have the opportunity to speak to you and you share the, the little nuggets that you've taken away and how you've applied that in your practice like there's no better feeling for both of us so thank you so much to this team of disruptors that are on this journey disrupting dentistry with us thank you and good night and good morning to you today <laughs> bye <laughs> bye Hey, thank you again so much for tuning into the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We love to hear from you viewers and we love that you join us for our episodes. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And leave us a review. We love reading reviews from all over the world. It's one of the things that actually makes all the hard work feel really worth it when we get to see which episodes you're enjoying or some feedback that you give. So leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or write something on our Facebook or our Instagram page. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening. Keep on disrupting.